brought my Bible this morning. It's probably a good thing. I hope you brought your Bibles too. Um, yes. Let's pray, hey? Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we thank you that we can come to you boldly through his blood. Thank you, God, that you receive us. Thank you that you hear our prayers. And thank you that you're the living God. And I ask that you do something mighty here this morning, Lord. We want to meet with you. We want to hear your voice. God, anyone who's bored here this morning, anyone who's cold, I pray that you would heat them up. Lord, that they would really have a revelation of you this morning. Draw them into your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. So we call ourselves Christians. That's the title we usually give ourselves. Um, What do you mean by that term when you tell people, I'm a Christian? You know, Christian means different things to different people. I've met Europeans who don't even believe in the existence of God. They're atheists, and yet some of them have told me that they're Christians. Why? Because they were baptized as a child. So Christian can mean different things to different people. Um, There's also, you know, different words we use to describe uh, Christians. In the New Testament, one of the, um, one of the descriptions of the Christians was that they were followers of the way. Uh, there's not really an explanation given as to why they were called the way. Maybe your mind's thinking back to the words of the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so perhaps they were known as followers of the way because they proclaimed that Jesus was the only way for salvation. He was the only way that you could come to God. The only basis on which a holy God would receive an unholy person was through the cross, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's still true today. We are followers of the way. But I tend not to use that word because it sounds kind of funny. You know, the way sounds almost like a cult. There's other words in the Bible, you know, um, there's uh, the children of God. Um, There are other terms such as believers, and we make a distinction, those who believe what God says, those who don't believe what God says, those who trust in Christ, and those who trust in themselves or trust in some other way of living. Um, I think of other terms like disciple, you know, some people in the, well, all the disciples were called disciples in the New Testament. And a disciple is a learner, someone who comes under a teacher. And the Lord Jesus was referred to as their teacher. They said, Rabbi, teacher. And they would come and they would learn from him. Uh, Bond servants is another one, that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But moving along, all of that to one side, I don't know what title you like to use. Me personally... I like to use the language that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. I like to make a distinction. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at that in Scripture. We're going to look at where that comes from. Uh, The first place it appears, from what I've read, is in uh, Matthew chapter 4, when he called the fishermen to himself. Um, So in Matthew chapter 4, I'll I'll read a big portion of it to you now. Matthew 4 verse 17. From that time, this is after Jesus' water baptism, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. 
Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee, uh, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. It says that Jesus' fame went out all throughout Syria, and that he preached the kingdom of God and healed the sick. You know, I, there's a lot of Christians, especially in America, who wear the, you know, make America great hats, and they, you know, they promote this idea, we need to make America great again. But we as followers of Jesus, let's make Jesus famous again. This isn't Jesus from 2,000 years ago. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus who is alive today and working in his church. You know, as a follower of Christ, you say it's no longer I who lives, but Christ now lives in me. And so when people come into encounter with a Christian, with a follower of Jesus, they should be coming into contact with a Christ one, someone who follows the Lord Jesus, someone whose life is Christ. You are a touch point between heaven and earth. When we pray for people, we are mediators of the new covenant. We are praying as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are out there preaching the good news of the kingdom, preaching that men should repent and trust in Christ. We are continuing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a practice in our churches that we invite people to make a decision for Jesus, or we might invite people to invite the Lord Jesus into our hearts. But I want us to think this morning about what it would have been for these disciples to hear the language that Jesus said, come and follow me. Now for these uh, actual disciples, the ones in the story, they were fishermen. That was their livelihood. That's how they provided for their families. When Jesus said, come follow me, says they immediately left their nets and followed him. They found something more important than their work, than the thing that would provide their food. They found the author of life. See, when Jesus invites people to follow him, and when he invited these fishermen, he invited them to come look at his life. They invited him to come follow him in his ministry. They invited him to come and to hear what he was preaching to the people. Have you ever thought about this? When we read the Gospels, we're not just reading about something that happened in the past. We're reading, as it were, as followers of Jesus, wanting to peer over Jesus' shoulder to watch him heal the sick, to watch him minister to the poor. How did Jesus speak to religious people? You know, how did Jesus deal with hypocrites? How did Jesus deal with people caught in sin? What were the things that pertained to the kingdom of God that made up his message? That's what's exciting about reading the Bible. You get to follow along the ministry of Jesus. You get to see how he did things, how he spoke, and he invites you to follow him. See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And we as followers of Jesus, we're seeking to imitate Christ. And as we make disciples, we're calling them to follow us as we imitate Christ so that we can all be imitators of the Lord Jesus. Um, When I think of imitation and I think of following, I think of my son who is 13 months old. You know, he watches his mum and dad. He watches me, he watches Jess. 
and he learns. He's like a little sponge. His little eyes are wide open to everything we do. Um, the other day, we raised our voices at each other, and we quickly hushed them back down because we're like, he's learning. We're teaching him how, how should a, a husband and a wife speak to each other in the home. He's learning through observation. We were out to dinner the other night, and he picked up a fork, and he poked it into the food for the first time, and he was able to get the food into his mouth with a fork. We've never actually shown him how to do that, but he's been watching us. He's been learning from us. You are called children of God. You see, whoever has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a son of God, according to the Scriptures. You are a child of God, and we are following the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our example. You know, my son has confidence to walk. Unfortunately, his little body doesn't keep up with him, so he tends to fall over. But the way he has confidence is because he sees all of us around him walking, and it inspires him to go, you know what, maybe I can stand up. Maybe I too can walk. And when we examine the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are invited like children to come, follow me. He says, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not a pressure where you go, oh, I could never attain to that. The Lord Jesus himself says, I will make you a fisher of men. I will teach you how to do it. I will be the one who makes you successful. I will be the one who strengthens you. We often quote that verse, you know, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if you've trusted in Christ for your salvation, your body has become the temple of the spirit of God. You are no longer your own. You are no longer alone. You have the very spirit that dwelt in the Lord Jesus Christ abiding in you. And you can do all things to Christ who is your strength. You know, there was a craze a few years back. Um, I wish it would catch on again, but... It was really cool, maybe 15, 20 years ago, to wear the bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And, you know, usually it was described as the sort of thing as, oh, I'm about to watch a movie. Well, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus watch this movie? Oh, it's a bit, you know, iffy. Maybe I'll turn it off. Or maybe I'm about to tell a joke, but that joke's, you know, a little bit dirty or something like that. What would Jesus do? Okay, Jesus probably wouldn't tell that joke. And it was often reduced you know, to this morality thing, you know, don't do that or do that. And so we see an old lady struggling with her groceries. What would Jesus do? Okay, Jesus would probably go over and help the lady with her groceries. And it's really helpful as a template to think what would the Lord Jesus do in any given situation. But I don't want us to limit it just to this simple morality of that's a good deed and that's a bad deed. I want us to go beyond how would Jesus minister to people? How would Jesus truly care for someone? Um, walking even just down the street. So um, Keith and I were just out there and there was a guy walking to the gym. And, you know, we were really friendly with him. We, we said, hey, you know, it's good to see you this morning. And um, we greeted him and we shared our exchange names. And he said, oh, it's looking busy in there, pointing over to the church. And, you know, Keith said, oh, you can come in, you know. And he's like, oh, yeah, thanks for the invitation. And he went off to the gym and that was the end of it. And it got me thinking because I'm like, Yes, it's good. He's gone away thinking, wow, Christians are friendly. Wow, there's a church there. But did Jesus rely on a church building to do ministry? Did Jesus put his hope in the fact that maybe one day he'll take us up on that offer and he'll come inside? No, Jesus brought the light of the world out to the people living in darkness. And you too have been sent out by the Holy One to be a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. It's nothing against inviting people to church, but let's go beyond that. I met a man out there. I think I've told the story before. He was covered in needle marks all the way up and down his arms, just at the toilets here. And I walked past him, and I thought, oh. And so I walked back to him. I'm like, hey, how are you going? 
um, we've got a church over there, we've got coffee, and I invited him in, he's like, thank you, and that was the end of it, and we left the conversation. And I'm, I'm hoping that I see him again, because I want to actively repent. I want to go back up to that man and tell him, do you want to be made free? Do you want to be made whole? What sort of gospel are we preaching to people? Do you have faith that the gospel changes lives? Or is this just some sort of religious structure that we all fall under? Is God alive and well and still doing miracles today through his church? Is the Lord Jesus still wanting to stretch forth his hand to heal, to deliver those under demonic bondage? You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be a slave to addiction anymore. You can be set free by the same Lord Jesus who freed people 2,000 years ago. He can free people today. He can make people whole. But we go, oh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. The Lord Jesus is the target. He's the one we're putting all the light on. He's the one we're putting the focus on. He does the heavy lifting. The Lord Jesus is our strength. He is the message. He is our song. Let's bring the Lord Jesus to these people caught in darkness. Um, I heard another story. It was from many, many years ago, maybe 150 years ago. A man was on a train, and it was really looked down upon back then to gamble. And uh, so there was a group of guys on this train, and they were playing cards, and they were gambling. And uh, this gentleman was sitting off to one side with his, his hands in his pocket. And one of the guys was rowdy and came over and said, hey, why don't you, you know, throw some money in and have a hand with us? And he said, look, I'm really sorry. I don't have any hands. And the guy's like, what? And they're all staring intently at his pockets. And he's like, you don't understand. He says, I'm a Christian. He's like, these hands are no longer my hands. These are the hands of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus doesn't gamble. <laughs> We've got to start thinking the Lord owns our bodies. When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, were you hoping just to have a ticket to go to heaven and that was it? The Lord Jesus wants to shine his light through you to reach people. He wants you to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. But if we're just going to sit here and keep our seats warm and wait until we get old enough to go to heaven, that's, that's not what Jesus invited us into. He invited us to experience the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said in John 14, the works that I do, you will do also. And then, of course, greater works than these, because he was speaking to the body of the believers. But the works I do, you will do also. It's easy for us to reduce this back down and go, okay, what works did Jesus do? Oh, he fed 5,000, so um, I guess I'll donate to World Vision. It's easy for us to take our Western mind and our own experience and reduce the, what Jesus says back into our level of experience to, to, to block the work of God through our unbelief. But I want us to just look at what the Word of God says. I want us to look at the ministry of Jesus I didn't quite finish it, but I nearly finished reading the Gospel of Matthew yesterday, and I was blown away. I was highlighting every instance Jesus healed the sick and, and performed a miracle. And my goodness, like, every time he wasn't talking, people were coming to him from all areas. That's why he was famous. They were coming from all parts, bringing sick people to him, bringing people with all manners of, you know, mental illnesses, everything, and they were all being healed. When did Jesus stop healing people? I mean, if we look at the book of Acts, the ministry seems to continue through the disciples. Jesus said, the works I do, you will do also. In Matthew chapter 10, when he called the 12 to himself, I'm actually, I think I'm wearing this shirt. Um, it says that uh, he'd called the 12 disciples to himself. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And he said, as you go, preach saying, 
The kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. And then we read that the disciples went and just did exactly what Jesus told them to. They preached the word of God and signs accompanied. In Luke chapter 10, there was a group of 70 believers with a similar uh, mandate. Jesus said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is the harvest ripe for the picking? When you look out upon Nambour and you see people walking past you who are depressed, who are suicidal, who are addicted to substances, who hate their lives, who have broken relationships, the harvest is ripe. Where are the laborers? Who's going to go out and bring them the good news of the kingdom that will not only get them a ticket to heaven, it will actually transform their life here and now and give them new life, new life connected to the Son of God. When the 70 returned, they returned to Jesus and reported with joy, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. And Jesus said, I want you to rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your names are written in heaven. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. It's interesting too, the 70 parallels the 70 at the time of Moses. Um, you see, Moses had the Spirit of God upon him. But then 70 more were chosen to prophesy and join him in that ministry. I don't have time to go into that this morning, but there's these beautiful parallels that Jesus is our new Moses, is giving us a mandate and anointing us with power to do his ministry. We all agree that the Great Commission is for today, don't we? What does the Great Commission say? I'll, I'll read it to you so you don't have to. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, so that's the, the command. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So just briefly... Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He says that we're to go out and make disciples. We're to go out and make followers of the Lord Jesus. He never said go out and make decisions for Christ. Go out and, and get people to just pray a prayer so they get their ticket to go to heaven. No, the command was go and make disciples. Make people like I have made you. I have raised you up to continue my ministry after my death to continue spreading the same gospel and continue doing the same ministry works that I did, only I'll be doing it through you, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that mandate is continuing. Go and make disciples. Are we making disciples? That's just a random question. You don't have to answer. Just answer it in your heart. You personally, are you discipling people? When Jesus met uh, Peter, after Peter had denied him three times, Jesus has been buried, he's been raised from the dead, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. You know, sometimes again we think, oh, that's just what Jesus was saying to Peter. Peter's going to leave the church. Peter's going to be the super apostle. Well, if you love the Lord Jesus, you're going to obey his commandments. And his commandments are that we go out and we make disciples of all the nations. His commandments are to feed his lambs the little Christians, the ones who don't know much, to feed his sheep, the mature Christians. And you might say, oh, I don't have the gift of teaching. That's fine. 
We say imitate, like Paul, we say imitate me as I imitate Christ. We walk with people, we pray with people, we worship with people. They observe our conduct. They observe the way we speak to our spouse. They observe the way that we talk to our work colleagues. We are to be image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so yes, go and make disciples of all the nations. Then it says we're to water baptize them. There's another command that, you know, I scratch my head at sometimes even in my own life. The last time I water baptized someone was about eight years ago. It's not to bring condemnation or guilt, but what are we doing? Are we fulfilling the Great Commission? The Lord Jesus wanted me to make a disciple and to water baptize them. Why? Because in water baptism is this beautiful representation of the person who says, I want to follow Jesus, now follows him through the death burial under the water and the rising up into newness of life, just like Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's them saying, I want to be identified with the Lord Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection. So we're to make disciples of all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that includes, you know, all of the disciples in the New Testament knew that they had received the Spirit of God. We need to be teaching people about this. We need to be laying hands on people so that they receive the Spirit when they first become believers. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All things. Well, what did Jesus command them? He did command them the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are great things. He taught them that we are to forgive others just as God in heaven has forgiven us. Wonderful things. But we tend to just focus on all these moral commands and then completely ignore the ministry of Jesus and his commands for how we minister to the people out there. Jesus also taught his disciples to cast out demons. He also taught his disciples to lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Why is it that we go, that's not for today, but the Beatitudes are for today? Who are you to separate the word of God like that when Jesus told you to teach them all things that he commanded you? All things. We need to stop cutting pieces of our Bibles out and saying, that's not for today or I don't believe that. We need to realize that just because we haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it's not true. So let's rise up. Let's, let's believe the word of God. Let's go, Lord Jesus, I take you serious at your word. You said that the works you do, I will do also. Lord Jesus, I'm here. Send me, I'll go. Like we need to yield ourselves to him and become a living sacrifice. And his promise is that he would be with us even to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus is alive. He's alive right here this morning. You can be set free this morning. You can have the power of an addiction broken this morning. You never have to hear a voice other than the Holy Spirit again. You don't have to yield to the devil and his will for your life. You can be freed this morning by that same Lord Jesus. Um, so I... I brought my Bible. I just want to briefly show you how the apostles applied this in the book of Acts. So, obviously, they were the immediate recipients of all this, and so if anyone was going to, you know, apply it in a certain way, it must be them. So, in, uh, you don't have to follow along. There's so much in here. I just want to read a few highlights. So, after they were being persecuted, the disciples... The whole group had gotten together. It wasn't just the 12, it was multiple believers. And in Acts 4, they prayed. And uh, they said when they prayed, they raised their voice with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth. This is Acts 4, 24. You're God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. And they spoke uh, from the Psalms and talked about the Christ. 
But truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they actively were praying that God would stretch forth his hand and confirm the word through the accompanying signs. We read later on how uh, the apostle Peter, he raised a dead man. Um, he raised a cripple as well. So it says it came to pass, this is in uh, Acts 9, uh, verse 32. It came to pass as Peter went through the surrounding country, he came down to the saints who dwelled in Lydda. Lydia. Um, there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And he arose immediately. So all who dwelled in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And there we see that's the whole point behind these miracles. Jesus shows compassion to those who are broken, those who are suffering. A miracle takes place and it says that all of the people in that region turned to the Lord. There was another woman named Dorcas who had died. Peter prayed and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, some of us are going, oh, but this is an apostle. You know, this is the great apostle Peter. So let's skip Peter. Let's think about Philip the evangelist. You know, he went down to Samaria and it says he cast out many demons and performed many signs and wonders. And he baptized a whole bunch of people and led this whole region to Christ. And we think, well, maybe, maybe the signs and wonders died off in the book of Acts. Like, you know, it seems like the last few chapters of the book of Acts, there isn't much happening other than talk. But even in the last chapter of the book of Acts, very late on in the ministry of Paul, he's on this island called Malta in Acts chapter 28. And it says that on this island, there was a leading citizen, Acts 28 verse 7, whose name was Publius. Publius. <laughs> Sorry, man. Um, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. They've been shipwrecked on this island. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him, and he healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. That's all it says, and then it just moves on in the story, and you're like, what? He has this massive, like it looks just like the life of Jesus. Jesus said, the works I do, you will do also. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. That's exactly what Peter did. That's exactly what Philip the Evangelist did. Philip wasn't one of the 12. And as far as we know, he wasn't one of the 70. But he had the Spirit of God on him and he was obedient to the call. And he went to the people and he brought Christ to them. Again, let's not limit what the Scriptures say. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ now lives in me. And we think, oh yeah, that's right, because the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and kindness. Good, that's right, the fruit of the Spirit. But Christ living in you, the Jesus who healed the sick, the Jesus who cast out demons, the Jesus who ministered to the whole person and brought full salvation. Let's not water it down. Um, oh dear, that's a terrible story. I won't tell that one. 
We've all experienced it when we've followed someone in a car, haven't we? Someone is leading us, and they're like, follow me, I'll take you to this person's house, and you jump in your car, and then you get lost. The whole idea of following someone when you're following them in the car is that they are the leader, and you simply need to do what they do. So when they turn left, you turn left. When they turn right, you turn right. You don't really have to think too much about it. You don't have to focus on Google Maps or anything like that. All the stress is on the car in front of you. Your car can be resting. Do you see what I'm saying? When we follow the Lord Jesus, He goes out before us. Jesus is described as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives His life for the sheep. He went before us. The Scripture says in Hebrews that He's our forerunner. He's not just run in this life, he's gone all the way up through into heaven and seated at the right hand of God as our forerunner, as the one who has gone before us. Um, so we rest. We rest in the work that Jesus did. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. You see, Jesus is like the trunk of the tree and the root. He's where we're getting our life from. Christ is our life, the scriptures say. Christ lives in me, the scriptures say. And so the branch doesn't produce fruit of its own. Jesus said, if you abide in me, or if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear a lot of fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. When is the church going to realize that the pressure isn't on us, the pressure is on the Lord Jesus Christ? All we do is we follow him. We submit to him. We say, Lord, when you turn left, I'm going to turn left. When you say, go speak to that drug addict over there, God, I don't want, know what to say, but because you told me to do it, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to speak with them. And I'm going to trust you, God, that as I abide in you, your life, your fruit, your goodness is going to flow out. Your power is going to come out. Your hand is going to be stretched forth through my hand. And we're going to see mighty signs and wonders because it's on you, Lord Jesus, and it's for your glory. Jesus also said, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So to follow the Lord Jesus, to say that he's your commander in chief, he's your leader, involves obedience. It involves denying ourselves, denying our own way. You know, we can't have this Christianity where I tack Jesus onto my life, where I remain in the captain's chair. I need to get out of the driver's seat and let the Lord Jesus be the one who drives my life. And so we need to surrender. We need to yield ourselves to him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I just want to finish with a challenge. Firstly, to us, if you're a Christian, if you're already a follower of Jesus, if what I'm saying to you makes sense and you've already said, look, I love the Lord Jesus, I want to serve Him, I want to obey Him, I'm going to give you homework. I want you, someone laughed, um, I want you to just go home this week and pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and just read the Word of God. Read the ministry of the Lord Jesus bathe in it, soak in it, be like one of the disciples, come up behind the Lord Jesus and peer over his shoulder as he ministers to the woman caught in adultery, peer over his shoulder as he shares things pertaining to the kingdom of God, watch him, watch as he reaches down and lifts someone off the ground who's a cripple, look at his compassion, what motivates him, what moves the heart of the Lord Jesus, let him become your teacher, let him become 
your template, the one you desire to follow? What would Jesus do? Ask yourself that question, observe it, and then take it into the 21st century and go, Lord Jesus, how would you treat that person over there? When you go to the checkout and you're thinking only about your groceries and only about the Netflix series you're about to start, why don't you pause, and if you're actually at one with a person, why don't you exchange a conversation with the person behind the counter? And when they ask you how your weekend's been, rather than saying, oh, you know, I hung out with friends or hasn't the weather been nice, why don't you talk about things that pertain to the kingdom of God? Why don't you talk to them about the things that really matter, that should matter to us, that we are most passionate about? Why not use that opportunity to bring them a message about God and about where they stand and about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world? So that's my challenge to you. Read the scriptures. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and go, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do as your follower? Evangelism is not supposed to be this special thing we do on a Friday night when we get together with four other guys who happen to be overly zealous for their faith. Evangelism is everything that we are because we are followers of him. And for the rest of you who may not know the Lord Jesus, I want to tell you this morning how you can know him, how you can follow him and what it means to be identified with him. This is only going to take a minute or two, so please don't switch off. When Jesus, before he started his ministry as an adult, he went to John, who was baptizing people in the River Jordan. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He was saying, come, acknowledge that you've sinned against a holy God. You've not lived a right life. Come and enter the waters of baptism. Enter knowing that you need cleansing, knowing that you, you, need, you, know, you need to acknowledge that it's, everyone is on the same playing field. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all not been kind to our neighbor. We've not always spoken the right thing and done the right thing, and we've not honored God with our lives. And so John was preaching this baptism of repentance, and both the religious rulers and the prostitutes and all sorts of people were coming and being baptized by him. Now Jesus comes to John, and Jesus says, you know, baptize me. And John says, no, Lord, not you. He's like, I'm not worthy even to tie your, your sandals. He's like, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? And Jesus said, permit this to be so because this is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus had no sin. He was the sinless one. And yet as our template, as our forerunner, as our example, he went down and submitted himself to the waters of baptism, even though he didn't need any cleansing. He goes down in the waters, he comes up out of the water, and it says the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice spoke to him from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again, we, we make this mistake when we read the Bibles and we think, that's a nice thing that happened to the Lord Jesus. When you become a Christian, you enter into Christ. You you. You abide in him. You, it's like when Noah entered the ark, he was enclosed in that ark. Whatever happened to the ark happened to Noah. Noah was delivered from the flood because he was inside of the ark. When you trust in Christ, you are inside the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive every blessing that the Lord Jesus Christ has received. So when God the Father says to God the Son, behold, you know, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, 
When you're trusting in Christ, he says the same thing about you. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Did you ever think about that? That as a Christian, God is pleased with you? God loves you, like actually loves you so much that the Apostle John later says in 1 John that, you know, we should behold what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. Like, whoa. But we're not just like one of his many children. You are his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Not because you've somehow earned that, but because God pronounces that on you when you trust in Christ, because you've entered into the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus received the Spirit of God. And, you know, I, I had my Bible open to this point um, because... Oh, thank you, Assistant. Thank you, Siri. Maybe AI will come to faith. We can avoid, uh, we can avoid uh, Skynet taking over. Come on, Terminator. Great. Um, Acts chapter 4 there was a famous preacher by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday never seemed to share about his experience of what turned him into like a super evangelist for God. But when Billy Sunday died, he had one Bible he preached from, and there was one page that was so badly worn, it was, it was, it was actually Isaiah 61, I think, but I'm reading it from Luke's Gospel. It was so badly worn because he had his sermon notes on top of it. He would always preach with his sermon notes on top of that verse. And the verse was, I'm going to read it from Luke, chapter 4. Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. This is Luke 4, verse 17. When he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor. And Billy Sunday always, when he preached the gospel, had his notes on it, so much so that it wore out the page because when he got up to preach, he was like, the same spirit that was on the Lord Jesus Christ that anointed him to preach good news to the poor is on me. We have received the same Spirit of God. Jesus said, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. Yes, Jesus was God, but Jesus came as our example, as a servant, relying on God, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to mend broken hearts, to make broken people whole. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news. So that should be our confidence. So we're united to him in baptism, in hearing the proclamation that we're forgiven, that we're beloved in God's sight, that well done, good and faithful servant, all of those wonderful things. We're united to him also in persecution though. This is the part where you need to count the cost. The Lord Jesus was called Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. They called him a drunkard. You know, they mocked him. The Lord Jesus eventually was taken to the cross and crucified. We as followers of Jesus, will suffer persecution. As it says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus says, the world can't hate you, speaking to non-believers, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. And that's what we do. And we come and we shine the light of the Lord Jesus. We say, he is the only way to a relationship with the creator of the universe. He is the only way that you have hope of everlasting life. He's your only hope for salvation. You can go off and speak to a medium and a psychic if you want, but you're speaking to demons. 
We speak to the living God and there's only one way to the living God and that's through Jesus and that's an offensive message. So you will be identified in his persecution. But also in the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was condemned in our place for our sins. So your sins have been paid for. You know, I spoke to my mum on the phone yesterday and she often asked me theological questions. And she said, what happens to Roman Catholics, Josh? And what happens to Muslims? They're good people. Um, they believe in God and they believe in Jesus or a form of, of Jesus. You know, what happens to them? I didn't answer her question directly, but what I did say is, Mum, there's only one way we can be right with God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, the reason why I have hope for everlasting life is because in the same way that God raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise me from the dead too. We don't have to fear death. The Lord Jesus is our forerunner. We're following the Lord Jesus. We're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to live eternally with him. And where did he go? He went right up to the right hand of the Father and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Where's your position? Seated in heavenly places, according to Ephesians. Seated with him in glory. Where Christ is, we will be also. Christ is our hope. Christ is our future. Christ is the light of the new Jerusalem. Read the book of Revelation. He is the tree of life that gives life to the whole world, to all who believe in him. So I conclude, are you a follower of Jesus? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? If he's not this morning, can I encourage you to come speak to me afterwards or speak to someone afterwards? Make a decision to follow Christ, but a decision to follow Christ involves action. It involves something on your part. It's not a silent thing you do in your heart and go away the same as you came in. The reason why baptism is such a powerful image for a new person coming to Christ is because you physically have to do something. I love it when I say to someone, go get baptized in water, and they say, oh, that's awkward, or this or that. Great, you're not ready to receive Christ. Christ bids you to come follow him publicly to make a profession that he is now my Lord. That is the direction of my life. I'm accepting your death. I'm accepting your burial as my burial, and I'm accepting your resurrection as now my resurrection. And I thank you, God, for doing all that for me. And I want to enter in to what you have done on my behalf. So I'm going to invite the worship team back on the stage. Um, it's an exciting thing to follow the Lord Jesus. It's a good thing. You know, we, we're not following an alien. I know that sounds weird, but we are following the maker of heaven and earth. We're not following an angel, a created being. We're following the creator. No one knows the human like the God who made the human. Just like no one knows the car, but the car maker. God knows you intimately. You can't hide from him. You can't deceive him. You might look really religious on the outside, but do you have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus? See, he is the light that will make all things become visible. It's time to come into that light and be honest with God. It's time to let the light and the life of the Lord Jesus bring cleansing, bring illumination, eliminating all of the darkness. God will give you a new heart. God will put a new spirit within you. You will be anointed to do the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. If only you come to Him.